Hi, everyone, and welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alondra Mitchell. Hey, Roundup. Happy New Year. I am so excited to be back with you guys. As promised, we have a ton of new content and I'm ready to share them with you. But first, I wanted to start with some New Year's affirmations. These are a couple of sentences you can say with me to help encourage health and wellness into your life this year. So repeat after me. I allow my body to become an environment of health. I am able to see the good in my body and allow my health to move in the right direction. I am worthy of life and I am grateful for it. That was great. I encourage you to continue to declare health and wellness in your life. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, and we are kicking off 2021 with an awesome collaboration with the Ayana S. Diet Foundation for Cervical Cancer. This week, we recorded a Facebook Live broadcast dedicated to ending cervical cancer in the Caribbean. Joining me for this discussion are Dr. Asante Van West, Charles LeBlanc, who is the chairman of the Trinidad and Tobago Cancer Society, Dr. Vishal Bahal, who is a gynecological oncologist, and Ms. Wendy Ribeiro, who is the director of the Ayana S. Diet Foundation. For those of you who missed it, here is part one of our discussion on ending cervical cancer in the Caribbean. Sorry for the delay. We are finally here. Um, RX Rounds is chatting about ending cervical cancer in the Caribbean. And I am here with my esteemed guests, Dr. LeBon, Dr. Bahal, and Ms. Ribeiro. I'll let them introduce themselves uh, quickly. Dr. LeBon? Okay. Hi. Good night. Happy New Year. I'm looking mm-hmm. at my it looks funny. Um, yes, so I'm Dr. Santi Van Charles LeBlanc. I am a general practitioner in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I am also the chairperson of the Trinidad and Tobago Cancer Society, um, which is the national, this is the NGO, which is the National Voice Against Cancer for Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and it's indeed my pleasure to be involved in this esteemed panel and thank you very much. Hi, I'm Dr. Bahal. So I'm a gynecologist. I work out of San Fernando General Hospital and um, Gulfview Medical. So I'm also the national um, lead on cervical cancer for um, Trans-Tobago. And my job is to sort of develop screening guidelines and management guidelines for cervical cancer. Um, So I'll be talking briefly on cervical cancer screening, preventative measures, treatment measures as well. Hello, good, uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Wendy Ribeiro, and I am the co-founder of the Ayana S. Diet Foundation for Cervical Cancer. Um, basically, my family and I would have 
created this foundation in honor of my sister. Uh, my role in the foundation is director, as well as the company secretary, among other portfolios, you know, under an NGO as it is. So I'm very, very happy and pleased to be among these two esteemed guests, Dr. LeBlanc and Dr. Bahal, both of whom have been phenomenal in the fight against cervical cancer. That's it. Thank you. So, Ms. Rivera, can you tell us a little bit more about ASPF and how it was started and why? Okay. Well, as mentioned, the Ayana S. Diet Foundation was created in honor of my 32-year-old sister who passed away in 2018. She, unfortunately, um, was diagnosed January of 2018, and she passed away a mere five months, five and a half months after, in July of 2018. Just before her death, one of her wishes was to raise awareness of cervical cancer in the hope that she can save the lives of, you know, some some women. So based on that, we would have championed this foundation and really felt passionate to ensure that we fulfilled her last wishes, one of her last wishes, and also at the end of it all, to ensure that we are able to bring awareness of the disease, the preventative actions, of course, with the hope of eventually eradicating cervical cancer, because it's one of those cancers that once caught early can be eradicated. So the foundation was created with, with those objectives in mind. And we have been working really hard. Just We are just about two years old, having been founded in January 2019. And since then, you know, we've been doing as much as we can to definitely raise awareness and, and bring the attention to this disease. And of course, with the help of the professionals like Dr. LeBlanc and Dr. Bahal, certainly we see hope that we can get in front of this disease and hopefully really save some lives. So it's been a wonderful journey for us. It's been a tough journey at time. It's, you know, being under that whole NGO umbrella, I didn't envision as, as much work as it has been, but it's been really, really rewarding, quite, quite engaging and certainly um, you know, the, the response that we've been getting from persons who follow our page and stuff, it's, it's been phenomenal. A lot of praises and accolade and motivation for us to continue what we are doing. So that's it in a nutshell, how we were established and why. Wow, such a great opportunity to remember your sister and yes. continue her legacy. Thank so you. let's talk about cervical cancer, guys. What is cervical cancer? I hear you hearing me. We're hearing you now. Good. So cervical cancer is essentially a cancer of the neck of the womb. Now, you have to be aware that a lot of people think um, when you're screening for cervical cancer, it's essentially screening for a cancer of the entire female genital tract when it's not true. Cervical cancer is essentially a cancer that comes from the neck of the womb and the different parts of the womb or different parts of the female genital tract. So looking at this specimen here, I mean, the cervix is essentially this bit right here. Just this bit right here. That's the cervix there. But you have different parts of the womb. You have the uterus, ovaries, and tubes. So cervical cancer is essentially a cancer of this part of the womb here. It is caused by um, 
you know, there, there are different risk factors um, for cervical cancer. The main cause is something called the HPV virus. There are other risk factors which can predispose women to getting a cancer, a cervical cancer, and that one of those risk factors would be smoking, as well as if there's any sort of immunocompromised state. That means patients who are on immunosuppressive therapy, sometimes patients who have renal failure, sometimes patients who have SLE, HIV. So any immunocompromised state predisposes you to cervical cancer that coupled with the HPV virus can um, predispose someone to getting a um, cervical cancer. What about genetics? Is, is that playing a role in persons who get cancer? I mean, right now we don't have a lot of evidence to say that there is an actual genetic component. Maybe there may be some conditions in the future with, which makes a woman's immune system weaker that predisposes her to not flaring the virus. So just to go in, just to explain that a little further, HPV, we know that that causes um, cervical cancer. We know that now. But why do some women get cervical cancer and others don't? It's because HPV, it isn't cleared by your body um, in time. So HPV is common in about 80 to 90% of men and women. And our bodies naturally clear this virus. It takes about a year, sometimes up to two years. Now, in some women, they don't clear the virus. It remains a little longer and you get cervical cancer. Now, these women, they can either be a smokers, they can be immunocompromised or in the future, we may discover that they may have some genetic predisposition to not clearing the virus and as a result, get a cervical cancer. So what about statistics in the Caribbean? Can you tell us how who is affected, what age groups? Right. So it, um, cervical cancer, it affects women um, of usually reproductive age once you're sexually active. So anywhere from age 21 to age 65, even more than age 65. But we do have the highest incidence of cervical cancer um, in terms of women age 22 to 44. Um, and in the Caribbean, we we actually, or in Trinidad Tobago, I should say, we have about 140 new diagnoses per year we have over 90 to 100 women die from cervical cancer every year. And this is from a, a cancer that's totally preventable. Absolutely. There are few cancers we know what causes it and how to treat it. And we, we know how to pick up, you know, we have a good screening too. So cervical cancer, we know what causes it. We know how to pick up cells before they turn to cancer. So we know this, yet we still have women dying from cervical cancer. And which is which is a tragedy because um, if women and, and we can talk, we'll talk about that later. What we can do to prevent it, but bottom line is the the new diagnosis, 140. We have a mortality of about 90 to 100 people per year, um, and we also have one of the highest incidence of cervical cancer in women 70 years and older in Trinidad, and that's because we don't women don't go for their pap smears. And they don't screen. And screening is supposed to be done from age 21 straight until 65. And you may find that if a 65-year-old woman goes to the health center, private doctor, they go to get a pap smear, usually the, the response will be, well, 
you're 65, you don't need to get a pap smear. But you only need to stop screening if you've undergone routine screening from age 21 to 65. If you have, if you go for a pap smear at 65, or you go for a pap smear, at, um, um, and this is your first pap smear, you fall in the category of out-of-protocol testing. So, you know, you don't cut off screening at 65. You, you need to, this is now falls out of that um, protocol and you need to screen. Wow, so let's talk about screening some more because I think that's really important, especially in our um, age groups, the younger age groups. So tell us about, you said, okay, you should start screening from age 21 up to age 65. So who should be screened specifically? Right. So um, women between the ages from 21, once you're sexually active, you should have screening. Now, there are different screening protocols. There is U.S. guidelines, U.K. guidelines. But generally speaking, you screen using two modalities. There's something which everybody knows of called a pap smear. And there's something called HPV screening. And that's using a special test called, it's, it's done as a smear as well, but we instead we test for the HPV virus. So we have both of them available in the country, in the private and public sector. So let's just talk about pap smears. In general, if you're having a pap smear, it should be done at least every three years from age 21 straight until 65. In the UK, they talk about women starting screening from age 25. But in my experience, I've had women who've had um, cervical cancer at age 25, at age 24. And these are few and far between. But I think in our population, if you're sexually active, I, I usually advise patients from age 21. And these are for all women. Once you're sexually active, I would recommend getting pap smears from age 21 straight until 65. HPV screening is now becoming, um, you know, um, it's recent studies have shown that this is beneficial. And again, it's done the same way in which you will have a pap smear done. But instead of looking at the cells, we test for the actual virus. The benefit of this is that if you're negative, you can actually screen every five years rather than every three years. So it, it is going in the direction that that might be more cost effective and more sensitive. So in the future, we may have we may have those protocols developed, but right now, we 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 usually recommend just having your pap smears because that's the most widely available rather than primary HPV testing. Folks, we are live and we are taking your questions. So we have a couple questions coming in. Um, Anisha, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom, but I hope that this uh, informational session would help others know about cervical cancer and prevent it. So we have one question from Jernicia. Uh, it is, if you had cervical cancer before and you were treated, does it affect pregnancy or your menstrual cycle? Um, well, the answer is yes. Short answer is yes. Um, and, but it depends on what kind of treatment you got and what that means. If you had a very early stage cervical cancer, sometimes this could have been treated using fertility sparing techniques, meaning you remove part of the cervix, short answer. And if you did that and you still have your uterus and your ovaries, you can still get pregnant, but fertility is decreased depending on 
um, you know, what part of the civics, what stage it was at the end, and, and if you have other issues that, that would impede, that would affect your fertility. Now, if you had the more common treatment options for cervical cancer, which is hysterectomy, or if you had chemotherapy and radiotherapy, then, you know, you wouldn't be able to get pregnant because it would have removed your fertility. Okay, I hope that answers your question. Um, so we're moving on to other parts of prevention, right? You talked about screening. Let's hop into vaccinations. What are the vaccinations? Who should be vaccinated? Tell us a little bit about that. So there are there is different types of vaccines, but the most common ones we know of, uh, well, the two we know of is something called the Cervix and the Gardasil. The Cervix is one type of vaccine that covers two HPV types. The Gardasil covers four types. There's something called a quadrivalent Gardasil. Recently, there's a new Gardasil called a non-avalent that covers nine different types of HPV. Now, bottom line is the HPV vaccine is available in both public and private sector. So it's available in health centers. It's recommended to get um, the vaccinations from age 11 to 11, 911, boys and girls, and it's recommended from that age. And you can, um, with the non-avalent, there's no upper limit. You can go past 45. With the Gardasil, you can get vaccinated up to age 45. That's fine. And in terms of the doses, if you're less than 15 years of age, you get two doses. If you're more than 15, you need three doses. Now, a lot of times I get asked, well, if I got one dose and then I did not get the other two, um, the, the other one. So if, if a child is less than 15 and she had one dose and she's supposed to have the other dose six months later, but she missed it, you have up until about a year that you can get that second dose. But if that time has passed, then you need to restart the entire process. Similarly, if you were more than 15 and you were supposed to get three doses, but you only got two, and then a year passed from the last one, then you will have to restart the entire process of getting the three, three vaccinations. And again, boys and girls. Yeah. So Anistia, I hope that answers your question. But coming back to that idea of both boys and girls, I know a lot of folks are thinking, Boys don't have a cervix, so why are they being vaccinated? So boys are the, the culprits in transmitting HIV as well. So if you if you vaccinate everyone, you know it can, you can um, you can prevent transmission of HIV. But also there are other HPV related diseases. There's genital warts. There is um, certain types of anal and throat cancers that are HPV related. So it does decrease the risk of these other HPV related diseases, not only cervical cancer. So you talked a little bit earlier about smoking being one of the risk factors for cervical cancer. What are some of the preventative things or lifestyle changes one can make to uh, prevent them from possibly getting this disease? Right. Um, so you want me to go ahead and answer? Go ahead. Whoever wants to. Oh, hi. <laughs> Whoever wants to take it. <laughs> Dr. Bahal, you're doing such a good job. Um, so um, Dr. Bahal mentioned the risk factors. So um, obviously for all cancers, there's there are common risk factors and they include smoke 
um, smoking, also um, an imbalanced diet, lack of exercise. In terms of cervical cancer, also promiscuity um, and certain hormonal therapies. Um, in terms of how we can prevent it, it's definitely to remind the population not to smoke. But now we're also including not to vape because people have now replaced smoking with vaping, thinking that vaping is a healthier option to smoking. So we're definitely, the Trinidad Tobacco Society has definitely launched with Scotiabank a no vaping, no smoking campaigns, because we need to educate the young ones of our population, the risk factors involved with vaping. Um, having a healthier diet. So COVID-19 came and I think it allowed a lot of us to regroup and readdress and look at our diets um, and eating more local. And that's very important. Um, you know, the first world blames that one of the risk factors when you Google it, it'll say socioeconomic status for cervical cancer. And we are considered a middle to low socioeconomic status country or a third world country, a developing country. Does this have to mean that we will always eat poorly? And it doesn't. And that and COVID-19 has allowed us to address that in terms of the quality of food that we put into our bodies, how we eat, what we eat, eating more local, eating what is um, indigenous to our ancestry and our, our heritage. And that's very important. Reducing the, the sugars, so the, the high fructose syrups, the high glucose syrups, the, the white sugars, the white flours, the very important. And I know that the, the entire world is on this craze of should we be gluten-free? Should we be plant-based? Should we be animal-based? Should we be sugar-free, sugar-not? And, and, it, and you, you go crazy just thinking about it. But I do, I think our stance is be balanced, be healthy and understand what you're putting into your bodies. Obviously, the food industry has changed tremendously trying to deal with the population explosion and to make money. There's no doubt about it. I mean, from your grandmother slaving over the stove in the morning to now popping it into the microwave and getting that, you know? And so now with COVID-19, everybody became a baker, everybody became a cook, everybody became a chef. And that is important because now we can eat more, um, whole wheat flours, we can eat much less sugar. We can eat, we, we're seeing that we don't need as much sugar. You can cut down your salt intake. You can have healthier fats versus the unhealthy fats. You don't need to have fried food every day of the year. You saw the, the, the wonders of baking. You saw how you could use different things. Should you, you know, you didn't have to eat meat every day. Was it that everybody has to be plant-based? No, but you do have to look at what quality of meat you're putting into your body. And so it's very important to understand that when it comes to prevention, exercise is important. And we say these things because cancer is a lifestyle disease. It's a chronic non-communicable disease. And with that, that means that you, there are factors that you modify and factors that aid with prevention along with the vaccination for the HPV virus. And so it's important to understand that. Understand your sexuality, your sexual practices. Know your body. Understand your body. Girls, talk to your daughters. Talk to your sisters. Let it be a conversation about your menstrual cycles. Understand what is normal and abnormal. Share that discussion and understand that HPV vaccination does mean promiscuity uh, promotion. Understand that it means prevention, understand that science is moving and we are finding ways to prevent and cure certain cancers. And this is a milestone and it's a huge step for mankind and womankind, dare I say. And so it's important to understand that. Education and screening are your and the preventative practices I just spoke about are your best weaponry against cervical cancer.
And we in the Caribbean, we are very sexual when it comes to carnival. We're very sexual when it comes to a lot of things. But when we when it comes to our health, talking anything from the navel go down and just above the thighs, it becomes kind of taboo. And we have to break those taboos and we have to go into those communities and teach them because this is a disease that with screening, with eating properly, exercising, not smoking, not vaping, and just knowing your body, you can prevent this disease and you can save lives and your own life at that. Thanks so much, Dr. LeBlanc. I think you answered the question because Myra was, Moira was asking, what would you tell girls who become sexually active before 21? And would you recommend to start getting the pap smears? I, I studied in Cuba. And so our national cancer program in Cuba was that as soon as a girl was sexually active, at least two years after that um, initiation of sexual activity, they should start their pap smears. As Dr. Bahal mentioned, we usually recommend from 21. I find that I like for patients to speak to girls. I like doctors should speak to their patients and we should understand their sexual practices. Because if a girl, for example, has begun to be precocious, dare I say, from 13, then I kind of like them by 18 to start having that pap smear rather than wait till 21. So I think we have to have frank discussions with the girls in terms of their sexual practices. Obviously, I mean, I would tell young girls to wait because I think it's very important. I think we've gone overboard when it comes to sexual practices and sexuality and, and all these things. But it's important to, to teach our young girls about knowing themselves, about womanhood, about um, sexual maturity, and when it truly is right for them and understanding when it's their decision. That's something that's been going on for years, that, but we're now more open about, open about it. And I think it's important to just educate them on sexual practices and let them understand that once you, you are sexually active, and you speak to a physician about it, you are basically, that is confidential. So that physician will not call your mommy and say, do you know what she's doing? So it's important to understand that so that you can have, they can have that confidence and that, um, you know, the, the, the understanding and the, 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 the comfort in knowing that there is an adult there that is non-judgmental and can help guide them through the, that, that part of their, their health, which is their sexual health. So it's important for them to understand that. Absolutely. I think creating that environment of comfort just in your household alone would help to have girls be able to talk about these things. So I think that's really important. So I, for persons... Just on that same point, one of the reasons why you would not want... So it's important to know your patient. Exactly. What, so every patient is different. So before the age of 21, it's really tailored to that patient. It should not. So it should be based on that physician and that gynecologist to decide whether or not to do a pap smear. One of the reasons against doing a pap smear too early is that sometimes you pick up things that could have, so if you pick up HPV, you could say, well, you pick up HPV, now what do you do? Do you go on and treat? And sometimes it could have been a situation where somebody has HPV and they were going to naturally clear it and then you're resulting over treating someone. But at the same time, you don't want to miss something. So exactly what um, um, you are saying before, if you have a patient who's sexually active from age 13 and, you know, multiple partners, you want to say, okay, well, here, well, let's base my decision on screening based on our history and on an examination. If we see something a little out of the ordinary, we can, we can, you know, um, we treat based on what we see. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's it for part one, guys. Stay tuned for part two of our discussion on ending cervical cancer in the Caribbean. 
Also, visit our website, rxrounds.com, for more information on the Ayana S. Diet Foundation. And register today for Diet's Feel the Teal Virtual 5K. This podcast represents the professional opinion of RX Rounds and its wellness partners. Our content is created for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for direct personal and professional medical care or diagnosis. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding your medical needs. If you enjoyed this episode, visit RX Rounds on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. And we'll see you next rounds on RX Rounds.